Welcome to this Good Friday service. Whether the truth of Good Friday is new to you or whether it's been precious to you for many years, we want this to be a time to reflect on Jesus' death and consider what it means. So I encourage you to join us again on Sunday morning as we celebrate the resurrection together at 1045. But this evening we focus on the cross. And we focus on the fact that God himself knows about the darkest depths of suffering. He knows it by personal experience. And he's able to help us in our very greatest need. So let's begin our time by praying together. Lord God, we can't deny that the cross is unpleasant. It's always unsettling for us to think about death, even more so to think about a gruesome death, death by torture. And yet your word tells us this gruesome death was not a pointless death. It was an act of love. It was an act of deliverance. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. So in these moments, will you help us to see not just the details of the cross, help us to see its meaning. And as we see that, we will praise you for it. Amen. Our first song reminds us of Jesus' life and death, and I encourage you to join in and sing this with us. My song is Love Unknown.
In a few moments, we're going to hear from the thief on the cross, one of the men crucified beside Jesus. We'll hear about the first Good Friday from his perspective. But at this point, I need to acknowledge my starting point for this has been a little book by Colin Smith called Heaven, How I Got Here. I've drawn on that and adapted and adjusted it to present the thief's story. But I also need to make it clear this is not a made-up story. Together, the four Gospels give us a very detailed account of Good Friday. I encourage you to read them for yourself over this weekend, the later chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, or just pick one of them. The story you're going to hear is historical. And to introduce the thief in a moment, Abby is going to read a section from Luke's account. He's just been describing Jesus' ordeal on the way to the cross, and in the passage we're going to hear, Luke widens out the picture a little to include some others also on their way to the cross. So Abby's going to read from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 32. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two of the men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's join in singing a song that describes Jesus and what he was doing on the cross. It's Man of Sorrows.
Good evening. Now let me start by saying it's a pleasure for me to be able to tell my story. As I look back on the first Good Friday, I remember the agony of it very well. But more than that, I remember the amazing deliverance of it. It still amazes me that I got from where I was then to where I am now, in God's presence. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me start where that day started for me. I woke early that morning in a prison cell. How I came to be in a prison cell is a long story, but it's not really that complicated. My parents were good Jewish people. They taught me God's law, and they taught me about God's goodness. But as I grew up, I decided to go my own way. I wasn't going to live under anyone else's authority or anyone else's rules. I made up my own rules, taking what I wanted from whoever I wanted. And for a while, that worked out pretty well for me. But eventually, the law caught up with me. And I find myself waking in a Roman prison cell on the day of my execution. A couple of hours later, I find out I wouldn't be dying alone. I would be crucified with two others. When we got to the place of execution, the soldiers threw us on the ground. Then one at a time, they nailed our hands to the wooden cross beam. I say nailed, actually, spikes is a better word. They were huge. And the pain was intense. But that was just the start. Once we were on the horizontal cross beam, they hoisted us up to hang from the upright beam that was already stuck in the ground. At that point, the pain got a whole lot worse. And it stayed that way. I was on one of the two outside crosses. The man in the middle cross was a, just a few feet away from me. But I'd been in too much agony to notice him until I heard him speak. Father, forgive them, he said. What? Father, forgive them? That made me turn round, despite the pain. And as I turned, I could see the writing above his head. This is Jesus the king of the Jews, Jesus. I'd heard about him. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed king. I'd also heard he did miracles. Well, I thought now would be a good time for one of those. But no, there he was praying that his executioners would be forgiven. It looked pretty pathetic to me. And I wasn't the only one. There was a big crowd that day. Most of them had come to look at Jesus, not me or the other guy. They'd come to look at Jesus and also to mock him. Someone shouted, If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, that encouraged someone else to join in. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Cried, loved that one. 
The religious leaders were there and they joined in. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. You have to understand, these people were not mocking the idea of a Messiah. The scriptures had promised a deliverer would come. But what the crowd found so funny was that Jesus didn't seem like he could save himself. Never mind anyone else. As I looked closely at Jesus, I noticed the wounds that covered his whole body. He'd been severely beaten and flogged, and a crown of long thorns had been pressed down onto his head. If God had a son, it was hard to imagine him ever looking like this. It was so pathetic. It disgusted me, and I joined in the abuse. So did my fellow criminal on the other side of Jesus. But I couldn't keep it up for long. It was exhausting to speak on the cross. And as I sagged back into silence, I did start to wonder, here I am, hours away from my death, and I'm spending my last moments spewing hatred? What am I doing? My mind began to drift to what was ahead of me. I remembered what my mother used to tell me as she quoted from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. She told me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of course, I'd always believed in God, but I'd never feared him. Not in the sense of taking him seriously, not in the sense of considering him when I made my decisions or having any concern to please him. I'd go my own way, ignoring God, defying him. And if the scripture was right, my life had been foolish. I hadn't even begun to be wise. And now my life was slipping away from me fast. And suddenly nothing mattered more to me than where I stood with God. And so when the other thief insulted Jesus again, I couldn't bear it now. Don't you fear God, I said. We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. I was more shocked than anyone when those words came flooding out of my mouth. My whole life, I'd always had an excuse for everything that I did. It was always somebody else's fault. But for the very first time, I saw I'm being executed as a thief, and I am a thief. I did all those things I was accused of. If I deserved Rome's condemnation, what about God's? 
If I had stolen from the Romans, how much more had I stolen from God? He gave me my life. And I had spent it living for myself and ignoring him. I looked at Jesus again. We'd all been mocking him because he claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. But what if he was? The crowd said he'd saved others. I wondered, could he save me? The sign on the cross said he was a king. What if his kingdom was beyond this world? Could he help me on the other side of death? I pictured him in his kingdom, his body no longer beaten and bloodied, but filled with strength and life, his head wearing a true crown, not a mocking one. I pictured him in the middle of a vast crowd, a crowd that was praising him, not spitting on him. I saw myself on the edge of that crowd, hoping I could be included. And I said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What an outrageous thing to ask. Only moments ago, I'd been cursing him. And even as I said the words, I suspected it was too late. I knew the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall have no other gods before me. I'd chosen to do all of those things and a lot more. And here I was facing the just consequences. I had lived the wrong way and I couldn't go back now. But earlier, I had heard Jesus use the word forget when he prayed for those who were torturing him. Might he forgive me? But for the life of me, I couldn't think why he would. What did I have to offer him? If Jesus forgave me, it would be sheer mercy. Totally undeserved. Do you see what had happened as I hung there looking at Jesus? I had begun to fear God. I had admitted finally that I was a sinner with nothing that could impress God. I believed Jesus was who he said he was and I asked him to save me. Remember me, I said. I didn't know what to expect. I was half expecting him to turn and say, don't you think it's a bit late for that? But what Jesus did was turn to me with a look of enthusiasm, like he'd been just waiting for me to ask. And he said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, the world of peace. 
where God's people enjoy his presence with no barriers. I had come to realize I deserved hell. But Jesus was promising me heaven. Those were the greatest words anyone had ever spoken to me. Those words changed everything. I had thought heaven was for good people who lived their lives for others. And I knew my life didn't measure up. But I was the first person Jesus brought into heaven. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Those words were beautiful for me personally, but for you. Don't those words prove to you that heaven is a gift? Don't they show you it doesn't depend on your performance? Look at me for goodness sake. I trusted Christ and went to heaven on the same day. I had no chance to live a good life. If you're one of those people who deep down think it's your performance that opens the door of heaven, if you think that, look at me and realize how wrong you are. I had no time at all to turn over a new leaf. No time to do any good deeds. You need to know heaven does not depend on what you do for Jesus. It's all about what he has done for you. If you think you're too far from God, that your sins are too great, and you're beyond hope, then look at me. I dedicated my life to sin. I blasphemed God. But here I am in heaven. Swallow your pride, admit your sin, and ask him to forgive you. He's ready to forgive you as he forgave me. With the same enthusiasm and the same love. It was almost noon. The sun was so bright I could only look down. And just below me was a small group of friends standing in front of Jesus. As I listened, I soon realized one of them was his mother, Mary. I could not imagine what all this was like for her. Watching her son suffer like this. I'd come to trust him in the last moments of my life, but she had loved him since the day he was born. Every night when he was a child, she had kissed the brow that was now torn up by thorns, dripping blood. As I looked down at Mary, I heard Jesus speak again. As I've said, it took great effort to say anything on the cross. You had to push up with your legs to get enough breath. I saw Jesus make the effort. He got the breath he needed, and he said to Mary, Woman, here is your son. And Jesus wasn't referring to himself. He met the man standing beside Mary. I later found out the man's name was John, one of Jesus' disciples. 
Jesus was giving John the son's duty of caring for his mother. He said to John, here is your mother. That was so impressive to me. Here, in the midst of this hellhole of suffering, I had heard Jesus speak three times, and they were all words of love. For his enemies, for me, and now for his mother. And I realized with those words, Jesus' relationship to Mary had changed. She was no longer to see him as her son. John would take up that role in her life. Now, Mary was to see Jesus as her savior. On the cross, Mary lost a son and gained a savior. If you think about it, Mary was on the other end of the scale from me. I was a scoundrel, the worst kind. But Mary was full of virtue. She was obedient to God. She did live for others. Mary was as good as they come. I was as bad as they come. But we both got to heaven in exactly the same way. Through faith in Jesus. So if you think you're too good to need Jesus, look at Mary. As good as she had been, Mary got to heaven the same way I did. Through Jesus, her Savior. If you've done lots of good things in your life, please, don't let those good things keep you from Jesus. Look at Mary and realize you cannot trust in your goodness. If even Mary needed a Savior, you do too. What just happened? I couldn't figure it out. One minute the midday sun was beating straight down, then the lights all went out. Complete darkness. In an instant, we went from midday to midnight. Every Jewish boy knew darkness was a sign of God's judgment. When God was delivering the Israelites from Egypt many years before this, at the time of the Exodus, God sent three days of darkness on the Israelite oppressors, the Egyptians who'd enslaved them. Then later, in the darkness of midnight, God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. So as we hung on our crosses and darkness came, I knew that God's judgment was going to fall. I expected it to fall on the soldiers who'd beaten Jesus and nailed him to the cross. Or on the crowds who'd stood there abusing him all day. But that didn't happen. Oh, God's judgment fell all right, but it fell on Jesus. The Son of God, the firstborn. God's judgment was being poured out on Him. 
In the darkness, I heard Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was terrifying. If God had forsaken Jesus, what hope was there now for me? And why would a man who had done nothing wrong be struck down by God's judgment on sin? Then I remember Jesus had promised that I would be in paradise, even though I deserved God's judgment. So where did my judgment go? Of course, Jesus took it instead of me. I'd seen enough animal sacrifices to know the principle. When a bull or a lamb was slaughtered on the block, the message was either we die or something else dies in our place. Or someone else dies in our place. I had heard Jesus described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There it was, just a few feet away from me. Jesus, the true lamb, was taking my sin on himself and suffering God's judgment in my place. He'll do the same for you if you trust in him. It doesn't matter that you were born after he died. His suffering was for all those who trust in him. After the darkness, it must have been about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The astonishing thing is, in his very last moments, Jesus didn't fade away. His last words were not a whimper of defeat. They were a shout of victory. He had done all that he came to do. And having done it all, Jesus gave himself to death. And as suddenly as it had arrived, the darkness went away. On the cross... Jesus had absorbed every last ounce of sin and death and hell for you, for all who trust in him. That's my story. That's what I saw and heard and experienced on my last day on earth. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, and he was true to his word. You can count on his word too. Please don't make the mistake of counting on anything else. Whether you're as bad as I was or as good as Mary was, Jesus is your only way to heaven. Admit that you need him. Ask for his forgiveness. He won't turn you away. And you'll begin a new life with Jesus as your king.
Maybe you look at me, though, and you think, well, he trusted Jesus at the very last moment. Maybe I'll do the same. But you're wrong. I trusted Jesus at my first opportunity. The first time I met him and realized who he was. You should do the same. Don't put it off until later. As I look back, I know I wasted the years God gave me. If I'd somehow been delivered from the cross and given a longer life on earth, I would have lived every day of it for Jesus. Even in the hours after I trusted him, I had a new purpose already. I had a new desire to honor him in what I did and said. I wasn't given more time on earth. But right now, you do have time. I don't know how much. But please, once you know Jesus as your Savior, cherish every day that you have. Live each day for Him, not for yourself. He loved you and gave Himself for you. One day he'll welcome you into heaven. And until then, don't you want to worship him with everything you have? Let's close our time with a song of faith and trust in Jesus. There is a fountain. Yeah.
God showed his love for us in this. Christ died for us. Thanks be to God.